awesome day today, as always, in, in the house of the Lord on, on, on Sunday. We get to come together collectively in, in worship, but have baptism as well today. Um, so it's exciting, always exciting. All right, First John, we are, we've made it to verse 12. I've been excited about the anticipation of getting here to this, uh, this passage. Um, verse 12, yes, chapter 2, verse 12 will be 12, 13, and 14. Chewed um, on splitting this apart into three separate sermons. Um, but it just seemed like we needed to keep it all together. Um, and so, as always, take heed of the, the perfect, infallible, inerrant word of God as I read this morning. Verse 12 says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly gracious Father, Father, we thank you so much for, for gathering us together to be collectively in, in worship. Father, I pray that this morning that you guide us in, in truth, in your word, and Father, give me the words to speak. May your spirit guide us and, and illuminate your scriptures, and uh, may your scriptures abide in us. And when we leave here this morning, that, that we know that your word never returns void and that it, it presses upon our hearts. And that throughout the week, that uh, your spirit be calls to our memory, your truths, truths of your son Jesus and the calling to be living sacrifices. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we see here this passage, this, this pause. Okay, we, we've been going through these series of tests and these tests are essentially to see whether or not you are truly in the faith or not, whether you're simply just profess Christ or you're one who truly possesses Christ. Um, and he pauses here. He shifts, and, and we can look at it as a, as a parenthetical here in that he's addressing believers. Right? And so before he's addressing whether you know, one is part of the visible church or the invisible church, um, and here he's addressing directly to believers. Um, essentially what he's doing here, he's asking a question. He's asking a question to us. He's saying, where are you in your walk with the Lord? It's a question that John is posing here in this passage. Where, where, where are we in our spiritual development? Yeah. Again, up until now, these tests, whether or not one's in the body of Christ or not, here he's addressing in the spiritual maturity of a, of, of a believer, spiritual maturity of those within the body of Christ. Uh, within the body of Christ, no matter what, what church you have attended in the past or church that you ever will walk into, the church here, there's a, there will be a diversity in this spiritual maturity. There should be. 
If there's no spiritual infants, then we should be looking to why is that? Why are we not answering the Great Commission? New believers. We should have spiritual toddlers, teens, young adults, adults, elders. We should all be present. They're all part and make up the body of Christ, the, 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 the little children here that, that John is speaking of. He uses that, that term there, little children, to, to address all the body of Christ. So here he starts off with, uh, again, the book of reassurance. He starts off with, with reassurance here. He gives us these commandment tests up until now. He gives us the, uh, the love test. How we love the brethren, how we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no perfectionism in that. Right? And even when we fail, when we, when we falter as believers, you know, we have the full perfect forgiveness through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he starts off here and he says, I'm writing to you. He says, he says that phrase 13 times throughout this letter. I am writing to you or I write to you. He's, he's, he does that for a very specific purpose because he's saying here, he's very pointed. He's, he's, he's very intentional in what he's trying to say. He's like, I write to you. I write to you with intention. He says, I write to you, little children. We've gone over that already. John has used that verbiage already here in this letter. The little children, this term of endearment. Um, John, at this point, in his 80s, uh, perhaps even in his 90s. Uh, so everybody's little children to him. And what he's doing, he's mimicking Christ as Christ called his disciples little children. So here, John, referring with this term of endearment of, of little children. Right, here's why, why is he writing? Why is he writing to, to us? Why is he writing to the church of Asia, Asia Minor, all the churches? Why is he writing to us saying, I write to you little children? Look at the second part of verse 2. <clears throat> he says, because your sins are forgiven. Because your sins are forgiven. He, he wants to, to assure them. He wants to assure us. Right? He has, again, the, the test of obedience that we've gone through. And our desire to obey, our, our, our posture towards the commandments of the Lord, our posture towards sin. And, and again, there's not a perfectionism in that, but... But because of the perfect one, Christ, because of the righteous one, he reminds us, your, your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future, they're gone. <clears throat> That's something that I pray that that, that never loses its, its, its sting that your sins are forgiven. And we're constantly reminded of that. You know, I still sin. You still sin. You know, we all still sin. We need to be reminded that we have been forgiven already. That word forgiveness in the Greek literally means sent away. Sent away, Removed. It's a Greek word sometimes actually used in, in, in terms of divorce. 
and they completely separated. A breach, a separation. Now, our sins have been separated from us, sent away. They're no more. Because He, the Father, laid them upon His Son on the cross. As 1 Peter says, He bore in His body our sins. Jesus being our, our, our sin bearer. John, in, in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, he says, he is the Lamb of God, right? The Lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world. And the stamp on Christ and his atoning work. That uh, removal of sin. It's known as the doctrine of it. Uh, expiation is, is what the term is. The doctrine of expiation is, is essentially what it is, is the act of making amends. The act of making amends. There's been a, a, a void or a, a wall that's been put up. That is the wall that we put up in sin. Christ removes that, He makes amends. Our sins removed from us and placed upon Christ. Now, on that cross, just be reminded, remind each other daily. On that cross, all the sins of his people were placed upon him. All believers today, all believers in, in history's past, all who will believe in the future. It is finished. He's, he's, he's etched it in stone. He's covered their sins. So therefore they will come to saving faith. Our sins, that is our sins, before any of us in here were, were even born, before any one of us were born, where we were transferred by the Father and laid upon His Son. He became what Leviticus 16 foreshadowed. Leviticus 16 is, speaks of the, the scapegoat. One time a year, one time a year, the, in, on the Day of Atonement, the, the high priest would, would go into the, the Holy of Holies. What would happen is he would lay his hands upon the scapegoat, the goat that was selected, one of especially the, the best goat that they had. Lay his hands upon that goat and symbolizing the transfer of his sins and the transfer of the sins of the nation upon that goat. And that goat would be sent off into the wilderness never to be seen again. It's a foreshadow of the reality of the cross. It's a foreshadow of the reality of Calvary. It is this scapegoat went off into the wilderness and it became this vivid picture of what took place at Calvary. As the Father laid his hands upon the Son, the imputation of sin onto Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 
21 reminds us, him who knew no sin, God made to be sin on our behalf. Christ still remained sinless and perfect. He wasn't defiled. He remained the perfect Lamb of God without spot or blemish. He took upon himself our spots and blemish. <clears throat> Why did he do this? Is it because of how awesome we are? Because of all the great things that, that we do? <clears throat> actually in spite of that. Look there at the end of verse 12. Because your sins are forgiven. Why? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. Sola Deo Gloria. It's the glory of God alone. For his glory. His glory alone. Now think about that. And, and, and resolve in your mind that, that he is the sovereign one. Right? Created all things for his glory. He will receive glory. If he created all things for his glory, and he truly is sovereign, how could he not get the glory? Well, we can rest in that. Glory for the honor of God, God alone. This, this act of, of love on the cross that has effect that is beyond measure. Beyond measure. Just for one second here, just kind of bring your mind here to infinity's future. Think of the moment in which you enter into eternity. Enter into eternity in there will not be a, a, a parade that will praise any one of us for how awesome we are and what we did to to enter into the kingdom. It'll be an eternal glory that will be brought to the Father, brought to Christ, brought to the Holy Spirit. When us as sinful creatures enter into the kingdom fully sanctified, and there'll be a look at all of, cre all of creation will we'll, we'll praise. Say, look at this. One who is dead in their trespasses. It's one who is following the course of the world. Christ took that person and made them a new creature. Through Christ, we gain access into the holy places. He will receive the honor. He will receive the glory. Not just in a moment. That's why salvation is the, the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle. Salvation. It's not healing. It's not any of those other things. 
which are, are, are still bring glory and honor to God, right? But essentially, they're, they're temporal. They're temporal. Salvation is an eternal miracle. God receives glory for eternity. So again, bring our minds here to to entering into the kingdom, entering into heaven, entering into the presence of God, fully glorified, fully sanctified, ourselves being sanctified, so that we're able to even peer at the, the glory of God. We'll see his, his glorification. We'll see the, the sovereign king in all his majesty. We'll see his pierced hands. We'll see his pierced feet. We'll see his pierced side. The only man-made things in heaven. And we will fully know. Fully know to, to, to the utmost degree, truly how magnificent he is. We'll see the glory in which he, he, he truly deserves. The one who gave himself up for such undeserving creatures as you and I. This is this is why we take communion. This is why we partake in communion each week. Reminds us of Calvary. Reminds us of the magnitude of Christ's sacrifice. You should never simply just tack on communion at the end of a church service. It's deeply, deeply important to the, to the, to the spiritual life of the church spiritual life of the, the individual. Deeply important for you know, the glorification and the honor of Christ. It's a reminder, again, of, of the magnitude of his sacrifice. <clears throat> Let's do something different this morning. Kind of just take a pause here and... We typically partake in communion at the end of church service. Um, just in this moment, let's, let's take this moment right now to, to reflect on this. Right? To reflect on, on the thought of, again, we, we can only muse the thoughts of what that day will be like as we stand in the presence of our Savior. But we know what he has revealed to us that that's magnificent. And he who started a work will bring it to completion. And hold fast in that. So, let's be partake in communion. Um, I'm not going to put a few of you on the spot, so I hope you don't mind. Um, what song are you guys finishing with? Right. Let's, let's do that song. But no instruments, no nothing, just voices. Um, and so you can kind of organize that how you feel. And, and we have time, though, to, to collect.
collect and partake in, in communion. And then let's just sing. Let's sing to our Lord. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the moments that can pause. You can pause and, and reflect upon you. And the only way that we can do that is through the, the, the understanding, through the truth that you, in, that you have imputed into us through your Holy Spirit. Let us never take that for granted. That glorious miracle of salvation. Let us hold fast to that. Let's work out our salvation. Help us to work out our salvation and not be stagnant, but to be pressing forward, climbing that, that, that glorious mountain to the, to the celestial city where, where you abide and your glory shines forward. Father, help us to radiate that glory that you have imputed into us. Help us uh, not just keep it covered by a lampstand and let it shine forth. Let us return it to the luminary which is your son Jesus. <coughs> Father, may you bless this time of communion. Bless our thoughts, our hearts as we remember we remember that the magnitude and the love, the sacrifice of your son. Father, bless the, the bread and the juice. Bless it to a holy use. And that as we eat and as we drink, we draw closer to you. That we hold fast, that we run to you. And we see our faults, we see our failures. But knowing that we have a perfect advocate, the perfect one, the perfect Lamb of God, the scapegoat, was glorified and sits at your right hand. We pray all this in his precious name. Amen. Now for my second sermon. <laughs> Verse 12. Reassurance. Reassurance. Uh, the book of assurance, right? So John always reassuring us. Um, verse 13, he goes into now this like, uh, we'll call it a recognition verse. Uh, John, he lays out like essentially three basic levels of Christianity pertaining to spiritual maturity. Make note here, before we even start going through these, each and every one of them, fathers, young men, children, all equally forgiven. All equally forgiven. Right? Not all are on the same level of spiritually, spiritual maturity, but he sets this foundation right, in, in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you little children. He's speaking to the entire body of Christ. Be you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So all these levels here, equally forgiven. So it begins at essentially the top, the top level of, of uh, this uh, recognition, for lack of better words. Starts at the top and he works his way uh, down. 
Again, I'm going to constantly remind that all are equally forgiven. He says, I'm writing to you, fathers. Writing to you, fathers. He's not talking about physical fathers. He's not talking about people who have children. It could definitely refer to that, but he's, again, speaking in the realm of spiritual realm, of, of, of maturity. This could as easily say, uh, speaking to you, you fathers and mothers. All right, so he's not, also, he's not just talking about males here. He's using the masculine terms of, of men and fathers, but he's talking again to the entire body of Christ. So he's using the word father. Someone who is mature. Who is mature. As a uh, person grows and becomes older, typically a Something that, that occurs during that, that, that time of going through life. This is maturity. So he's using that as, as an emphasis on that. Again, not simply physical, but spiritual. Someone can be young and have a spiritual maturity that equates to what John here is saying as a father. There's, with uh, the one here that John is speaking of as father, is one who has spent much time in the word. Saturated themselves in the Word. Their minds are constantly being renewed. They have learned sound doctrine. They stand on that sound doctrine. They don't shake. They don't waver. They stand firm. They have been in many battles. They have fought many battles. They've defended the faith. They've tackled the front lines of spiritual warfare. Nobody starts at this stage. This is a stage in which one grows into. Look at the next line. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. John here is saying this is one who has this deeper relationship with the Father, this deeper relationship with their Lord and Savior. You see the the, the contrast here from uh, towards the end of verse thirteen. Speaking of children, he says, because you know the Father. It's different than what he says to the fathers here of, you know him who is from the beginning. It's this deeper relationship. And when speaking of the, the children, because you know the Father, this infant stage is wherever that would be. It's the one that knows the Father, knows a little about what the Father does. Think of it as an infant or a toddler that their father leaves in the morning and they come home and they, they, they change their diaper, they feed them, they take care of them. That infant recognizes their father's voice. They, they know who their father is. But when the father leaves, they don't know whether he's going to work or, or what he's doing. Knows who their father is. But doesn't know much about what their father's about. But here, verse 13, the beginning, where he's writing to fathers, saying, you know him who is from the beginning. These fathers know what their father is about. This, this know here, the word know, you know we emphasize that. Um, again, is one of the prime words throughout the letter. 
Now, you use 37 times in this first letter the word no. John puts that stamp at the end of his letter. And I'm writing to you so that you know that you have eternal life. It's a beautiful assurance book. That word no is like, like marriage. To, to know one another. To grow in, in knowing knowledge. You didn't... It, you're, you're, we could say marriage or relationships or friends, like as they grow, you, you learn more of that person. This deeper knowledge and, and, and understanding of one another. Right? Now, when this comes to the, uh, from us as the children of, of God, and He fully knows us, He knows every hair on our head. The opposite isn't true. And we grow to know the Lord more and more. As he lines out here these, these stages, these levels. Again, from the beginning, the, the eternality of God. You know, him who is from the beginning. Your, your mind has essentially been, been blown by the, the vastness of your God. The, the sovereignty, the, the magnificence of your God. As you have grown to, to know him more and more. You're, as the, the psalmist says, like a, a deer who pants for water, so your soul thirsts for him. As you thirst in your, in your prayer life, your, your devotion, your personal study, your, 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 your learning under teaching and, and preaching of, of sound doctrine, your mind has been expanded. You know him who is from the beginning. You know, these deeper things of God, not just in doctrine, but in life reality and life application. You see the, the steadfast, strong arm of the Lord in his sovereignty, his will, his, his predestination, his, his election. Understand the reality of hell being a real place where all those who are not in Christ will will carry out their eternal sentence. A place of eternal weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. A place where, where thirst is never quenched. The place where, where the worm never dies. The worm being the soul. Jesus spoke more about hell than, than he ever did about heaven. This is a real place and, and it will be an eternal reality for those who do not repent and put their trust in Christ, in Christ alone. He is the only hope. He is the only way. It's a constant conversation of, of, of hell, conversation of, of deeper doctrines. Uh, they're not uncomfortable conversations for you who are in the Father stage. You know where you're going. You know the deeper things of your father. You are no longer playing t-ball, essentially. Rather, your spiritual maturity has reached the major leagues. Your relationship with him, who is from the beginning, has reached greater depths and greater heights, and therefore your life has a greater width of reach and influence. So where all church elders must be, it's where we should all strive to reach. 
Again, I'm not talking about somebody who's more saved. You cannot be more saved. Another one who has, who has worked out the spiritual muscles by way of access to the holy places through Christ's blood. Right? Access through his word. And note this, access that every single believer has. It's not a special person who is deemed a father who has more access. All have the same access. As R.C. would say, the most important knowledge for anyone to have is a knowledge of who God is. It's right here. Who God is. His attributes, the, the names that are, are used to describe him, his works, the triunity of God. Calvin in his magnus opus, his, his institutes, starts off the same thing. The imperative uh, it's the most imperative thing of, of knowing who God is. We know who God is. We, we, we know what our Father is about. We know his promises. We stand firm on them. The knowledge of who God is becomes the lens in which you see everything. It's the prism in which you look through to see everything. The world, ourselves. A flawed view of God equals a, a flawed view of the world, equals a flawed view of ourselves, equals a flawed view of others, equals a flawed view of the Bible, of, of theology. It's a great exhortation here to, to know Him who is from the beginning. He's given us access. And I would encourage, let this be your source. Meaning that uh, listening to sermons, uh, podcasts, things like that are awesome. Great resources, right? But if we find ourselves where that's the majority versus grounding in the word itself, there can be some mishaps there. Again, all great things. Don't stop doing those things. But anything anybody ever says, whether it's listen to a sermon, it's listen to me, or listen to, to one another, the authorities, the scripture, must be grounded in the scripture. So that's why when, we, when we're grounded in the scriptures, we can hear things, and like, ah, that don't sound right. We hear things like, yeah, that's, that sounds right. What are we affirmed? We're affirmed by the word, the authority. So fathers, is this top level, we'll call it. Again, I don't want us, our minds to go to like more superior, um, but just in, in using the term here, this level three, you know who, who is from the beginning. And we have this next level here, young men. This is, the, this is the meat and taters of the church. If you hear nothing today, 
grab a hold of the things in which uh, scriptures say and how I'll articulate about this level. Examine yourself to this level. This infantry stage. Man, this is... It says, I'm writing to you, young men. Young men. Young men. This is this broad term here. Typically, it's used to, to denote the people from age mid-teens to 40. And again, let's bring our minds. This is a, a spiritual maturity we're talking about. But um, that's the, the term here he uses typically falls in that range. That doesn't mean you have to fall in that range to, to be in this stage. It's one who has grown up. It has grown up out of the childhood or the infant stage. They're no longer in the infant stage. They've matured. They're full of strength. They have this fervent thirst and this desire for your life to take part in something that matters. That's the infantry stage. Because you have overcome the evil one, it says. You've overcome the evil one. And no longer are you in the nursery. You've come out of the nursery and, and you salivate to get into the battle and you're in the battle and you're pressing forward to the front lines. You're not on the sidelines playing a trumpet or banging a drum. You're in the battle. You're moving forward. You've come to the clarity that, that, that sin and, and Satan has no grip upon you. And you are an eager servant for the Lord. You yearn to and, and are playing a, a bit part in expelling the, the darkness as the light of Christ shines in you and through you. The one walking in the light as he is in the light is apparent in, in your day-to-day life. You want to fight the battle. You desire to fight the battle for the Lord. You're invading enemy territory and and winning souls with the gospel. You're destroying secular ideology. You're exposing error, exposing heresy. You're contending for the faith. Same word, wrestle. Wrestling for the faith. You've taken off your your, your diaper. You've put on the full armor of God. You've been weaned off the, the spiritual nip of your parents' faith. No longer being just tugged along, carried along. We all sometimes need the the tugging. You're now being strengthened and and nourished by the word. Your ever-growing relationship with Christ is being nourished. You're no longer a passive player. You're an active player in the game. Your ministry is active. It's alive. You're no longer on the sidelines. You're no longer a spectator. You're on the battlefield. If you don't know that there's a battle, you're probably not in this stage. You cannot. You're one who, who cannot just simply show up for church anymore. That's as common as breathing for you. Your life must count for for time and eternity. 
throughout the week, each and every day. These are the, the Apolloses. These are the, the JLs. It's the infantry stage. So we have the father stage. We have the, the, the infantry stage. And here he goes into this level one stage. The, the infancy stage. These are, these are children, babes, little ones, not necessarily by age. Matthew 8, 2 uses the term referring to babies who are under the age of two. Mark 5, 4 uses it in reference to a little girl. Mark 9, 24 says Jesus took a child into his arms. Same word. And so it's a little baby, small enough to be picked up. These are ones who are, who are immature in faith. I want us to, then, to realize that no matter what stage we're in, there's times where we need to be tugged along, times where we need to be picked up and, and, and carried along. But the, the main trajectory of your life is what John here is referring to. Infancy stage. It was immature in faith. And, but here's the great thing. They have faith. It was that they have faith. It's just not, it just hasn't been developed yet. Right? It's true saving faith. It just hasn't been tested. Or hasn't been deepened. You know, they're, they're essentially a, a spiritual toddler. Look, it says, look what it says. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Amen. Because you know the Father. That is a good thing. That is a great thing. That, that, that gift, that, that miracle of salvation. You know. You know the Father. Again, as babies, cared for, fed, served. Father does all those things. You know the Father. Especially in an elementary level, uh, who he is, that, that he's the one that takes care of you. Again, that's good. It's not a bad thing. So here's the thing these children here that John speaks of are one of two things. And take note of this as, as it will describe some in this room. And so take note of what, he's, what a child is in spiritual maturity. These are ones who just began their Christian walk. These are new believers. New believers based on, on timeline. Right? This could be, it came to saving faith today. Maybe six months ago, maybe a year ago. These are new believers. Yeah, so I said that we should have people in the infancy stage in the church. It's a great reminder for, for all that yeah, God is still working, He's still alive and active. Or two, you've been a believer for quite some time, you just have never grown up. Just never grown up. There's reasons for this. 
you know, maybe you've never sat under strong preaching of the word. You've never had the full counsel of God brought to you. You only have ever been fed milk and, and never any solid food. That's a reason, that's a possibility. You've never been involved with, with serving the Lord. Never gotten onto the battlefield. If we're just sitting on the couch, uh, all we'll have is baby fat. We'll never get rid of the baby fat. But to work out our faith, build that spiritual muscle to, to, to strengthen, to, to, to pump weight and, and expel the energy. To have energy, you must expel energy. To get off the couch and into the, to the battle. Get into the battle with the, the, the young men and the young women. Get out into the field and, and, and put your hand to the plow and never look back. So there's, there is no such thing as a, a yacht club Christianity. <laughs> Justin turned that one for you. There isn't. Right? And what I mean by that is, is, is you need to be willing to get into the trenches and serve the Lord. Doesn't mean someone can't be saved that's on a yacht club. In a yacht club. Some of these children have been children for a long time. A very long time. Sad to, to, to see a grown man, uh, even decades in, in the faith, but yet still uh, on, on milk. Verse 14 here, he goes into this reinforcement. And he, he does what a master teacher does. He, he, he tells them what he's going to say, he tells them, and then he tells them what he just said. In master teacher fashion here with John, um, and notice here, verse 14, he re-articulates what he just said, but he leaves something out. Notice there what he leaves out. He only hits on level three and level two. He does not even acknowledge level one in verse 14. Why? Again, John here is displaying his master teaching skills. He's admitting level one. Right? He addresses, he says, like, you, you are children, and your sins have been forgiven. You are part of the body of Christ. Right? But he omits it. Why? In order to, to push those out of level one and, and into the infantry. He reassures them they're saved, but doesn't reinforce them to stay in that stage. It's exhortation to press forward. Press forward in the battle. Press forward into the, the, the infantry. So in verse 14, he, again, your fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning, this deeper relationship, this deeper spiritual maturity. You don't know all of what your father is about because we have no ability to, to know that. But we know the chief end. You know the chief end of man, right? And chief end of all things to bring glory to him. You know those deeper things. Young men and women, 
infantry, the young lions and lionesses, right? the young warriors. So it's because you are strong here, it says. I'm right, you young men, because you are strong. You've been tested. You've been put in situations where, where you have to stand firm and dig your heels into the ground. You've contended for the faith. You've been battle tested. You're a strong player and, and your, your commitment to the Lord is unwavering. You don't move with every wind and wave. You're grounded. You're one who says you're going to do something and you do it. You're strong in resolve. You're strong in ministry. You're strong in witness. Why? Look there, next line. Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Because the word of God abides in you. Notice that connection word, and. It says and. And so what he's doing, he's connecting strength together with the abiding word. Go hand in hand. Hand in hand. The word abides in, in you. Therefore you're strong. The word does not simply just go in one ear and out the other. You, you, you cling to it. Every word. Commit it to memory. Not just memory, but action. And the word is active in you. You're the one that, uh, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. Continuously amazed and just blown away by the scriptures. On the contrary, the contrast to that, the one who, who thinks he knows a lot is, is the one whose mental vacancy light shines the brightest. This is one here, the young men, young women, the one whom the word abides in. It's the one who, who, who sees and understands the, the needed spiritual nourishment from the word. The nourishment must come from the word. And one who realizes that that gained nourishment, it has to be used. It has to be used. And so, this calling, this, this exhortation to really just to stand firm, this affirmation of of uh, spiritual maturity. And, and you can look at these things in, in, in which I, I, I brought to your attention. And, and is there going to be perfectionism in that? No. There's, our lives should have these marks, marks of Christ. An illustration here to finish up. I was at someone's from a church's house the other day and they have, and I think probably many of you do, have a, um, had a specific, I think it was a door jam that they took off of a door somewhere along the way that had markings of you know, height and of their children. 
And you can see, you know, dated as they grew. And on that door jam, you see times where yeah, there's this huge jump. You know, times where there's just these small increments. Yeah, but there's a you know, continuous progression up. So John here, what he's doing essentially is, is putting our backs up against the, the, uh, the, the doorpost. Uh, the doorpost being Christ. Measuring ourselves, not to other people or, or anything else except for Christ. And so, when you do that, when you make that mark, where does it fall? Are you at level one? If you are at level one, why? Why are you at level one? It may be because you're new, new in the faith, right? Keep pressing forward. If you're level one and you've been there for a long time, why? Do that examination. Because again, all believers have access. We all have access. And encourage see yourself there at level one, at any level. You know, Lord has, has blessed us with, with his, his church. He's blessed us with that, that gift you know, where we can come together and on, on Sunday mornings, we can come together in, in studies of the word. We can all the authority of the word. to encourage one another to press forward along the front lines. So that is the, 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 the exhortation here that he calls us. Father, stay firm. Continue to press forward in spiritual maturity. There's, there's no end on this side of eternity. Be the example beyond the front lines. You should be already standing at the front lines. Paving the way for the, for the young men to burst through to the front lines. Fathers have to be encouraging to the children, nourishing them. Weaning them from milk to solid foods. And children desire the solid food. Prayer. Prayer. And all these things that I've articulated are not things that are um, by our, our strength of the flesh. By the strength of the one who lives in you, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lean upon Him and the strength and the nourishment in which He gives.